With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host. Proud to be back again for another week of great, exciting action in the NFL. And we're coming at you with a second episode, a weekly episode of NFL in the Game. I'm Matt Chatham, as I mentioned before, and joined again by one of our awesome FBF riders, former NFL linebacker with the Packers, Cowboys, and a couple other teams, and proud PYU alumnus. Alumnus, is that how I say it? Uh, Brady Papinga. What's going on, Brady? What's up? I think you can go either way with that one, but I am a proud BYU guy, even if they are playing top-notch football or not. <laughs> we, have a, we have a cool situation here this week. I mean, uh, normally I'm calling Brady. He's out in California, you know, doing the show on a landline or phone or something, calling in. But uh, right now we've got uh, Brady from space, actually. Uh, he's calling in from, <laughs> from England, England, good old England, from London, because he's out there on a, on a conference. Uh, Brady, tell, tell the fans of the show what you're out there doing right now. Yeah, right now I'm uh, promoting a power rack that I have invented and collaboratively have designed with a fitness manufacturing company by the name of Tough Stuff Fitness International. It's called the XPT Trainer, and really what it is, it's a combination of the best of both worlds in fitness training equipment, which gives you safety without any compromises. I mean, you can lift in the safest environment, but yet still receive the optimal benefits of lifting with free weights. If you want to find more information about it, just go type into the Google search engine, XPT Trainer. There you'll see a video pop-up that will give you in-depth details on how it works. It's pretty sweet, to be honest with you. And uh, it's something that I've developed over about, I don't know, 30 years of dealing with weights in some degree or another. So uh, I'm liking it. It's, it's slowly gaining traction on an international level, hence the reason why I'm here in England. I love it. That's awesome, man. Use that Google machine and go find out Brady's machine. Pretty cool stuff, buddy. All right, well, let's dive right in here and get into sort of a wild weekend of NFL games. And we're going to start off right now with what have we learned? What have we learned? So I'm going to lead with you, Brady, uh, off the bat. Is there one of the very first thing that jumps to mind that you learned from this NFL week two that might have been a little different from week one? Well, the thing that I learned is that the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line is horrendous. And everybody's given DeMarco Murray a lot of, you know, beef for his, you could say, lack of productivity. But the reality is the offensive line for the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, they were allowing penetrators on a down-in, down-out basis in the running game to where DeMarco didn't even have a chance. I mean, the ball was getting put in his belly and boom, he'd look up and there was a defender of the Dallas Cowboys staring him right in the face. And that's because the offensive line right now has what I call targeting issues, meaning all of a sudden the defensive line move, whether it's on a stunt or a slant, and lo and behold, the offensive lineman of the Philadelphia Eagles, or even the tight end, I saw Brent Selleck do this also. They're not picking up on him, and all of a sudden you've got free runners running into your backfield, not even giving your running back a chance. 
And that's a huge problem for a Chip Kelly ran offense because he bases his whole philosophy off being able to establish the run and then being able to use the play action pass to burn defenses vertically. And so right now, as I see it, the Philadelphia Eagles offense is hindered because their offensive line play is playing really below average. So in your view, uh, was the, the call to get, I mean, again, and I'm not trying to put this all on one guy's shoulder, one, one position, but the, the call to drop Evan Mathis, was that the right call at the right time, or uh, would that sort of aid in some of the problems that they're having up front? You know, I don't even know if that solves it, because a couple of times it wasn't even the interior linemen that were having issues. A couple of times, like I mentioned, it was the tight ends, and one of which, right. and, and I don't know about Ertz, but I, one of which was Brent Sellett missing a block on a guy to where he, you know, the defensive line moves a little bit. He takes a step outside expecting the defensive lineman who he's assigned the block to be there. He's not, and he whiffs completely, doesn't block anybody. And that same defensive lineman who ended up being Jeremy Mincy was literally looking at DeMarco <laughs> Murray in his eyes as DeMarco Murray's getting the ball in the backfield and then tackles him for about a five-yard loss. And so you can't just throw the fall all on that offensive line. It's just on the collective blockers when you're considering also the tight ends in that group also. But I don't, I don't know if Evan Mathis makes a huge difference. Maybe his leadership does, but uh, Brent Selleck should know better than that. I mean, this is his second year in this scheme. He's a vet in, him, in and of himself, an excellent player, at least has shown that in, in the past. So I don't know if it makes a big difference, but it, it, across the board, offensive linemen, tight ends, they need to up their game there in Philadelphia. They're going to have a long and dark season. You actually wrote on this in the offseason a pretty interesting piece that sort of talked about how you theorized that, that, that DeMarco Murray might actually be a great fit and also throwing in Matthews to that, that they're trying to do the little two-headed monster thing because as opposed to LaShawn McCoy, who spends a lot of his time out on the edges, he's a, he's a slasher, cutback guy, but that sometimes takes a little longer to get into these holes that purportedly Chip Kelly's offense is opening. Is there something uh, you're not seeing that sort of the back style would help, or are we at the case where we kind of can't tell because there's so much penetration, as you mentioned? You can't even tell because these guys, specifically DeMarco Murray, he's not even getting going. You know, I mean, he's not even getting a two-foot or two-step head start to even see if there is a hole for him to hit. And so, I mean, it, you can't even give any evaluation how DeMarco Murray's performed because – the reality is he hasn't even had a chance to get going on any of the handoffs because every time I this last game, except for maybe a few outside plays, when he was trying to running, run it up in between the tackles, I mean, he was being met literally one step as to, you know, him trying to find a hole. And that's because of the penetration and the, the lack of targeting of the offensive lineman. So it's really hard to even say, you know, how DeMarco would even work in this scheme right now because he hasn't even right. been given a chance to show what he can do. Okay, cool. That's a that's an interesting point. So I guess if you're in Dallas right now and you're sort of sitting back and you know kicking your legs up on your your deck and you're all happy that that you know yeah. Jerry Jones made the right decision and he didn't keep Demarco because see how bad Demarco's doing there. Maybe the story's a little more complicated than that. Okay, well I'm going to transition to my sort of first what what we learned. Uh, for me, you know, one of the biggest stories in the NFL was kind of came from the podium, you know, uh, Rex Ryan made a lot of noise a week before, you know, chasing his white whale, which is <laughs> this New England Patriots team, regardless of where he's at <laughs> and what, organiza what organization he's leading, he has a certain obsession with Bill Belichick and his team. And it's, it's understandable. I mean, clearly he needs yeah. to get past them to, to win division championships. Uh, but what I learned, and this might sort of go against the grain a little bit, because obviously I, it was an ugly game. I think a lot of the things that are out there, 
that didn't go well for the Bills, you know, looked like sloppy play, looked like undisciplined play, penalties, a lot of sort of goofy situations that uh, I think take the shine off of the talent that Rex has built on that roster and the makeup of what I think that team can be. My what we learned is that I actually think the Bills are going to be okay. And I, again, that's that's not uh, that might be controversial in some circles because I think some people are going to take from that up same old Bills, uh, but you know what? I don't think they're past the Patriots by any measure. I think that game was pretty clear confirmation of that. But what I do see. <laughs> They're still a very difficult matchup, and if they can control games and not do the stupid self-inflicted wounds, they'll be okay. It's it's a Bills roster that I've you know gotten to play against for years and years, and then being an observer as a media member now and watching that division closely, I've never seen it as talented as it is now. So obviously the charge on Rex Ryan, on Rex Ryan's plate is to put it all together, and they're a long ways from that. That's that's easy to see and easy to admit. But I came away from that thinking sloppy play can be fixed uh, if Rex is going to be this bombastic and have a sort of an undisciplined thing from the podium, which he always has. But I don't remember his Jets teams, even when he was doing that stuff and maybe putting some more pressure on the team from behind the microphone. They still played pretty disciplined football that defensively you didn't see errors. You just saw them a tight knit group that really led things and they never had the offensive weapons. All of a sudden, now he's got offensive weapons, uh, and they're young. I mean, trying to figure out how you're going to put this all together with LaShawn McCoy that's limited, uh, with Tyrod Taylor that's got a ton of ability, but that did not respond well after an amazing first drive. Greg Roman put together a hell of a drive to start the thing off, schemed the hell out of it, walked right down the field. But when they weren't able to answer the Patriots on successive drives, they score, I think, I believe three three drives in a row. You put Tyrod Taylor and that offense in a bad spot, and he's just not an experienced enough guy to really bring him back in that environment. He started staring at the ground, leaving the pocket way too early, having issues. Once the game settled again and it got in a little more of a, a, a spread, got to come from behind type situation, the Patriots pass rush had a, tr- had a lot of trouble hanging on to him. So I don't think they've come anywhere near approaching that particular team, but I think the Buffalo Bills are a team they're going to give a lot of other NFL squads a hard time. Any, anything you took from that game in particular? Yeah, I mean, a big disappointment to me was when the New England Patriots were on the goal line and they they essentially ran the exact same play that caused the Pittsburgh Steelers issues a week ago where they, they lined up in a heavy situation with two tight ends. Obviously, Rob Gronkowski was one of them. Then Tom Brady smacks his hand, that heavy condensed formation all of a sudden spreads out where Rob Gronkowski becomes yeah. the number one wide receiver. And the Bills are scrambling as, Who, who's got Rob? Who's? It's like, come on. <laughs> right. If that hadn't been at least rep ten times just to make sure everybody's got an idea of who they matched up with, then uh, I, I don't know how you mess that up. And so to me, it's like, you know, it goes down to the details. Like, you can talk all the smack you want. You can get your guys motivated all you want. But if you don't understand the details and if you don't help your team understand the details, when you're playing the Patriots, you're not going to have a chance because you know it better than anybody. The Patriots know the details as good or as better than anybody in the NFL, hence their success. And so that, to me, was the most disappointing part because it's one of the most clear plays that you think you'd have the highest amount of preparation for. They weren't even ready for it. Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100%. And you can see it on a player's face, and I, you know this as a player, sort of that post-snap reaction right after it didn't go well. And I, I'm not sure <laughs> yeah. if I have the I'm not sure if I have the names right here. If it was Gilmore and, and Williams at the safety position, but the thing you saw them do is when they broke, they they aligned across from it okay. I mean, there was a little bit of chaos to get it all pointed out, but it looked like what they screwed up was the help element. It was like Gilmore 
overplays one side and expects that he's turning it over to a safety in some sort of double situation. And one guy overplays one side and then there's not, he, he sends it to no one, <laughs> you know? So yep. it's like he runs yeah. the slant and it's not there. So yeah, it, it looked as if that, that rage that he had right after the completion happened, they turned and there was a little three man circles of defensive backs kind of <laughs> throwing their arms up in the air and yelling at each other. It looked like, Hey, we worked <laughs> on this. Like you should have gotten that. It's, that. That shouldn't be a surprise. So, yeah, I mean, uh, at some point, the coaches can put you in a situation. At other points, you just have to execute. There's no way that should have been a surprise, but uh, they just could not get it right. So we're going to transition here to your second. Uh, what did you learn? Uh, we're talking a little off air. You were you were impressed with the performance there in Cleveland. Uh, what do you have on that game? Yeah, I love Johnny Menzel. I mean, I'm not saying the guy's arrived, but, I mean, I think he's proven at least at this point that even if Josh McCown comes back healthy, that he should be the starter in Cleveland, and, the, and my favorite play there, Matt, was his last play. The Tennessee Titans brought a pressure that, let's be honest, the Cleveland Browns didn't have enough blockers for. Rackbo comes on the, I think it was on the left side, the defense's right side of Manziel. He spins out of it, does his improvisation that we all saw in Texas A&M, and then finds Benjamin for a deep touchdown. I mean, and his, it was great as all the coaches were like, well, <laughs> <he's>, uh, <laughs> coaching's overrated sometimes, is the quote they, they basically said about it, because they really didn't have him in the right play, and obviously being a young buck that he is, he didn't adjust and, and, and he didn't audible, but even so, he was still able to use his improv, uh, improvisation skills, elongate the play, evade the rush, and make a huge throw down the field, and then he had some other conventional plays that obviously worked out very well for him, and he showed that he has promise. There's something there for the people out there that were wanting to basically tell the Cleveland Browns, you got to cut bait with this guy. Guess what? I believe they were wrong. This is a guy that could potentially be one of your franchise quarterbacks. He showed glimpses of that this last week against the Titans. And so I, I, you keep on keeping with him. See where he goes from here. See how he progresses. And so I, at the very least, it looks like Ray Farmer and that front office of the Cleveland Browns made a right decision in drafting Manziel in the first round. I, I agree with you about halfway, and I don't disagree with you in the other half. I'm just uns, I'm unsure yet. Let's put it that way. I could almost put this into one yeah. of our later segments, segments as an unanswered question. I'm, I think his ability is clear. I think his, uh, his, the scheme he needs to be in, they're, they're starting to figure out what it is. The thing that makes me wonder if, you know, this, how this will all turn out if we're having this conversation two or three years from now is uh, it's a depleted roster. And I, I think that puts a lot of stress on the quarterback because not having uh, Josh Gordon, not having some of the other explosive elements, it, the creativity, and Johnny has it, is really going to be sort of the onus. He's going to have to generate plays. They're going to have to generate offense. There's no Trent Richardson, not that he would have been the savior, but I mean, there's no lead back <laughs> kind of situation. I mean, the yeah, Duke Johnson, yeah. I think Duke Johnson is a very, is a very promising young player. So I, I don't want to, downplay what his ability he, he could be something in this league but I definitely think that's the kind of place that has to play great defense has to be able to establish a run game and they've got good good blockers up front Alex Mack is one of the best Joe Thomas is one of the is is if not the best left tackle in football he's right there so they've got oh, yeah. players uh, just the issue would be I mean what's the relationship going to to be amongst some of these receivers I love Andrew Hawkins his, his speed to get in and out of cuts he's sort of a an Edelman light kind of guy he's just a really tough one-on-one -on -one cover uh, but the rest of the crew is is pretty unproven and that's going to be a challenge so you know there's no more Cameron Jordan they, they let go of the tight end that was never had trouble staying healthy so it, it's it's a group that I think if you were to line up 32 rosters uh, at least offensively 
it's closer to the bottom as far as just overall talent, or at least proven talent. So I, I think it's going to be a challenge, but uh, it's one that I'm willing to let play out. I think I agree with your point that you can't screw around and go up and down week to week and figure out who's going to be your guy. You have to settle in on him, find plays that work for him, and try to sort of uh, fact, you know, put a scheme around him that allows him to be successful. And don't expect that he's going to do everything that, a, that an Aaron Rodgers can do. That's, that's not realistic. But I'm, lo- I'm excited to watch it play out. It was good to see him have some positive the plays and he seems to be becoming more of a pro so for my second what we learned i'm actually going to settle on a team that uh was a hot topic in preseason the return of adrian peterson to the minnesota vikings i think what we learned uh in week two against the detroit lions is that the Vikings are closer to sort of the hype than the dog that they put out there in week one against the Niners. (laughs) I'm not going to say that we learned that they are that hype, but they're closer to the good team we thought they'd be than the really, really bad one on week one. Uh, You know, it was so tantalizing to think what this team could be if just Adrian Peterson rushing for 3,000 yards or whatever, Teddy Bridgewater being the efficient quarterback that he is, now having a downfield threat uh, that's a little different than Greg Jennings having Mike Wallace now, a guy that can stretch the field. All of a sudden, you can get your tight end involved a little bit more, who was really a non-factor a year ago when they didn't have much of a run game. Uh, You know, the complimentary complimentary pieces, maybe Corderell Patterson gets a little more involved. All these other things, you know, can Kyle Rudolph be the guy we thought he was going to be a tight end? All those issues where, wow, this is what we thought, and it it makes sort of plausible sense, and you saw none of it in week one. Week two against a very talented Detroit Lions team, it's all back on display. Peterson runs for 29 29 carries for 134 yards. Uh, The passing game is efficient, but not, not prolific. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater doesn't make mistakes, which I think will be the key. One touchdown, no picks, 14 of 18, a real high efficiency rating kind of reminds me a little Mariota's first week performance something along those lines so my big what we learned is that I actually will always bank and I did uh, or we did excuse me in FBF locks this week Uh, Minnesota was one of our locks I really like coaches and maybe this is just the the Belichick background that I've had with that organization for so long I really like coaches like Mike Zimmer who are no-nonsense guys that when things go bad, shit hits the fan, he's the kind of guy I want handling that next week's practice week because he's someone who I think yeah. who gets in the ear of guys and says, you know what, the, the hype, the nonsense, that's that doesn't matter. We need to get back and do the little things. And I was really banking on him being the kind of guy that would give them the kind of practice that week they needed, really put it to them and challenge them. And the way they came out against the Lions – tells me that they got it. So again, who knows where this thing will all shake out, but I think they're a definite threat in that division. Uh, The Packers, as we've seen, are are still, I think, head and shoulders above, but the Vikings are a legitimate contender, I believe, uh, for at least a wild card spot. Yeah, I mean, to me, the key is that that Norv Turner's got to get out of the way of his guys. I mean, when you don't give the ball to Adrian Peterson, because they were saying in the first week, oh, Adrian Peterson struggles with the spread offense where he's running the ball out of shotgun. It's like, no, give the guy a chance to get going. Get him the chance to get the running game moving. And that's exactly what they did this last week. They gave him 15 carries, which, by the way, is a a career high for him in the first quarter, which tells you right there, North Turner pretty much admitting, yeah, we made a mistake. Week one against the 49ers. We got to go to him. We got to have patience to be committed to the running game. And if they do that, then I think everything you said is right. But if they all of a sudden think that Teddy Bridgewater is this elite quarterback that can carry the offense on his shoulders alone, they're going to be in trouble because he's not at that point yet in his career. He's still a guy that's got to be functional, game manager, 
a complimentary piece to their running game, but it's all going to be on the shoulders of Nora Turter. He's got to put that offense in that kind of position where he just commits to the running game. Yeah, I like it. So again, I, I think just the learn, learned point there is just that there's potential as we thought. The potential isn't phony uh, and we'll see how it shakes out. Uh, you're right. I, I want to see the coordinators put these guys in the best position as possible. And, and the flip side of that coin is a kind of a no name. I, I hate that phrase in NFL circles. It's just because you don't know them or you haven't studied them enough. And I'd put myself in that category. I haven't studied them enough. But defensively, there aren't any big time stars, but they're relatively young. They've got a lot of talent on that side of the ball. I have evidence this myself uh, covering a Patriots game against the Vikings a year ago and thinking, wow, they're just really raw. But you see some athletes over there. Yeah. You see some guys that can be playmakers. So complimentary football, uh, the right kind of leadership and a coordinator that's willing to let his guys figure it out and put them in the right spot. Let's pause here for a second to acknowledge our sponsor. By now you've seen the ads. Your friends are playing. We're playing. It's your turn to get playing yourself. Get signed up at FanDuel.com. FanDuel's the leader in one-week fantasy football with more winners and more payouts than any other site. The money's real, and they're paying out over $75 bucks a week this football season. Building a team is easy. Just pick your players, stay under the salary cap, and sit back on Sunday and watch your team win. This isn't one of those year-long commitment kind of deals. The entry fees are easy, just a dollar, so anyone can play. You know fantasy football. Prove it by going to FanDuel and getting yourself signed up. Go to FanDuel.com and click on the microphone in the upper right-hand corner. Use my code, FBF, and sign up now. Special offer for new users. For every buck you deposit, FanDuel is going to match it with up to $200 that gets earned as you play. That's a bonus of up to $200, an offer only good for the first 50 people that use my code, FBF, today. Don't forget to use my code, FBF. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. So I'm going to transition now, as we always do, into the second half of our uh, In the Game segment. We call it Unanswered Questions. Unanswered Questions. I really, really, really want to know. You don't want to know. Yeah, I want to know how come. You want to know. I want to know how. Okay, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to send it first to you, Brady. What from this week two still remains sort of outstanding to you that you want to see in week three sort of come a little bit more to conclusion? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still really questioning the Atlanta Falcons. Are they a viable team in that NFC South? Now we understand that NFC South is wide open, but I'm not sure what I think of the Atlanta Falcons at this point. The fact that they come off the season last year that where, where they were struggling, you know, Matt, Ryan wasn't playing up to par, and Julio Jones was struggling with issues, injury issues and things of that nature. They look healthy, but the big question for me is their defense. Can their defense continue to play at the level they are right now? When you're only two, day, two weeks into it, there's too many question marks to really be able to get a good read on a program, especially like the Atlanta Falcons that have a new head coach and Dan Quinn. You don't know if it's just that excitement and that kind of difference factor that has played into these first two games. And now that the uh, – feature opponents that they have have a little bit of film on the Atlanta Falcons, have a little bit more feel of how they're going to approach it, not, not only just offensively but defensively. We'll see if the Atlanta Falcons will be able to continue to maintain the amount of success that they've had in the first two weeks. I'm actually a, a big a big believer in the Falcons because I 
I like sort of the organizational feel, and I really like Dan Quinn. And that's a personal thing, so there's a huge bias there. I had Quinny as my uh, as a coach, uh, D-line coach, pass rush guy when I was with the Jets before he went out to Seattle. And I was really fired up for him to get this gig because he's in that sort of no-nonsense vein, and he's very, very meticulous with the way that he teaches pass rushing, teaches defensive schemes. I don't know if you've ever seen a coach like this or had a coach like this, Brady, but uh, what I always liked about Quinn was he would actually come to practice in cleats and then with mitts on his hands <laughs> to do. Nice. I mean, this was a coach that would get in the dirt and get involved with you. So he really understood. We would do the MMA training in the offseason, and I got really involved in that in my years down in New York. And Quinn was one of the guys that really led it, tried to sort of push us towards that. And, you know, he would put the he'd put the mitts on and we would punch and, you know, work on all of our grabs and sort of little technique stuff. I guess just the reason I'm I'm a I'm a quiet believer in what they've got going on. First and foremost, they've got the quarterback. I think Matty Ice is someone who's he's never going to be your top three or four in the league. But I think he's easily a top 15, sometimes a top 10. Sure. Julio Jones says holy Julio Jones has looked uncomfortable in two weeks. And, and I think that's a positive sign. I think going out and getting a, a good running back in the draft has been helpful for them because re-energizing a run game is is a good thing. It's something they need that I think allows Matt to sit back there and not make as many mistakes. But all that said, I like the leadership. And I usually, you know, maybe just from having been around good leadership all these years, I, I just think Quinn's the kind of guy that can lead an organization. That's a leap. You know, that doesn't tell you a whole lot. Uh, but to your earlier point about sort of the, the question marks that sit in the division they play, I think that plays in their favor. I think week to week, nobody in the world knows who the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are. <laughs> they, they, uh, they, drop a, yeah. they drop an absolute bomb one week, and then they come back and win on the road in, in New Orleans, which for whatever reason has suddenly become a place that the visitors are able to win on, no problem. But Carolina, I mean, I just uh, – Cam Newton is such a gutsy player, has played such, you know, uh, timely play, I guess, the last couple of weeks where he puts his body in harm's way. So I'm just – in the back of my head, I'm wondering, is he going to last? You know, so just because I, I yeah. think the, the, the division is so wide open and I like their leadership there, I'm willing to sort of roll the dice that the Falcons – might be involved as this thing goes towards the finish line. We're going to probably see Cam Newton play the whole year, and he's going to still play recklessly and all that, but uh, he seems like the kind of guy that can handle that wear and tear, according to D-Jerk there. What do you say, Matt? Yeah, he's, he's a superhero. So that guy, D-Jerk, he, he seems to have some <laughs> insight, but uh, who knows? Uh, for me, uh, an, a definite unanswered question, that, and actually the two unanswered questions, I'll just start here with my first, I think are very similar. Miami Dolphins, uh, as a team, as an organization, I'm just not yet sure what to think. I I like the the amount of talent there, and I'm not going to just jump ship here two weeks in on on the the talent of that roster. But the one thing that I'm just not certain of is can they put it all together? And I think that's that's really something Amen. that happens in a week to week situation throughout the NFL. Teams have talent; they accumulate in the offseason. They make some nice moves, and Dominick and Sue is obviously the biggest ticket item that was out there in free agency. They make that move; he gets doubled pretty much exclusively throughout the first couple of weeks against the Redskins, and then again last weekend in a loss against the Jaguars. The thing that has me sort of putting this as an unanswered question is. When there's so much turnover on a squad that had talent already, I mean, you look at uh, at Wake and then Werner on the other side, they're they're a team that that had ability anyhow. 
so then you bring in sure. some unusual pieces and I always wonder if, you know, it's, it's, it's jumping the gun by starting to think that the pieces should hit the ground working together. I don't think that's the case. And the dolphins have sort of a weird setup, even on offense. Devonte Parker is this new exciting player. That's going to be inject energy into the offense. He has a foot surgery in the off season and a week ago gets one rep this week, just, you know, sort of on a rep limited basis, the running game has been banged up. They, they just, aren't there yet Uh, but because they lose to the Jaguars who people hold in such low regard around the NFL my unanswered question is is that because of two things that the Dolphins just you know give them a month let them see who they're going to become once they figure it all out and two are the Jaguars someone we shouldn't be just throwing shade over every single time they do something well because I'll be honest with you if the Patriots had played the Dolphins this past week and they and the Patriots had beat the Dolphins by the same score the Jags did I would say hey hard fought win I I think that Dolphins group is pretty talented. Good go get a win in the division. But it's but because the Jags are the one that did it, you, you sort of want to discount what happened. And maybe it's just that, you know, Blake Bortles and Allen Robinson and these guys have a little more than we thought. That might be completely bogus. Well, we'll find out as things go down the road. But the Dolphins are that one team that I'm willing to sort of hold out on and say it's unanswered until I give them some time. I just like the depth they have at offensive weapons, Kenny Stills and 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 Landry and uh, the new uh, the new tight end in Jordan and who knows what the the offense is going to be with when once Ajay or whatever his name is from from Boise State. He's on a long-term yeah. PUP list. He'll come back mid-season. All those pieces uh, can fit together but haven't yet. So I I'm willing to keep that unanswered and to, and give them a little more time to figure it out. What what would be another yeah, one of your sort of? Uh, I'm sorry, keep well, going on that. Yeah, I was just say with just the, the the concern I had from day one when the Dolphins signed Sue was, is this guy just going to turn into another Albert Hainsworth, where he figures, right. hey man, they've already guaranteed me a ton of money, I don't have to listen to coaching, and in the off season I do a radio segment with Miami. And they were telling me that he was actually really mentoring these younger guys, taking them and picking them up to work out with them and show them the ropes. And it seemed like his maturity level took a, took a step forward. But the word coming out of Miami is, is a lot of the, their issues defensively, especially against the Jaguars, were a function of him freelancing. I, heard, I heard that, yeah. My immediate concern to where it's like now he thinks he's better than the team. He's bigger than the team. He can just do whatever he wants because he knows that he's going to get tons of money regardless. And, so there's still that worry to where even though there were some whispers in the offseason, now that's not a concern. He's actually you know, got a little leadership element to him that he maybe didn't have in Detroit with him freelancing. Uh, that worry may uh, become into fruition there, which could mean, a, I mean it could be bad news for that Miami Dolphins team in general because a guy like that just becomes poisoned. Well, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, and I, I don't know that to be the case with him, but there are situations like that where a guy has more leverage than the team does. You know, I mean, when they, when you <laughs> sign when you, when you sign contracts like that, you know you're untouchable at least for a couple season. And when you have a player like Sue uh, that was in a Detroit system that was a lot of just four man rush, you know, take a gap, take whichever you want, spin move, try to beat the double, get out get out get out of it however you think you can. Uh, Miami is a little different because they're so good at both edge spots. I mean, when you have Wake and Vernon, Vernon, as we've mentioned before, they got a lot of edge ability. So the last thing they need 
is is Sue jumping out of a gap and trying to run a twist that wasn't called or something along those lines. So I think that the the focus goes to Earl Mitchell, the other guy, the free agent that came in a D tackle from Houston. They were really pumping him up in the offseason that, hey, this is the guy that's going to make plays in one on one when Sue gets doubled. But if the the point is correct that, hey, Sue's just simply freelancing. Well, one guy that's it's single can't make the play where it should be if the other guy's vacating. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. I, I'm right with you there. The last thing you want is a guy with leverage that that, that does his own thing. We'll, we'll see how that thing plays out. So as far as one other unanswered question, uh, any other ideas? My other question has to do with the quarterback situation in Philadelphia because, uh, you know, Sam Bradford was brought in to be that immediate answer to where, you know, Chip Kelly compared him to Drew Brees when the – Saint, uh, the right. New Orleans Saints brought him in when he had a hurt shoulder, you know, because everybody's question why Sam Bradford was brought into Philly uh, with some injury history, and lo and behold, they've had two games to where their offense has been really inept. And so you're looking at this this year in the first two games is offensive productivity versus last year with Mark Sanchez, and let's be honest, this year's offensive productivity in the first two games by far pales in comparison to what Mark Sanchez was able to produce last year as the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. Now we know with Sam Brad, he has, Sam Bradford, he has by far a greater upside because of his tangibles physically. But when you're just looking at pure offensive productivity, you're looking at Mark Sanchez thinking, oh, this guy actually may be a better option for us right now. And so I went down with the, uh, the I would say, the ineptness of that offense the first two weeks with Sam Bradford at the helm that maybe the seed has been planted in Chip Kelly's mind that he may need to look to Mark Sanchez to get things going. It's a decent possibility, and I think there is that that lure. If if things go bad, uh, Mark Sanchez is the highest paid. I believe I got this right. The highest paid backup in football. He's paid as the thirty third starter, basically. I mean, they gave him an, uh, I think four ish million, five five million, somewhere around that number, where it's like you're 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 not the starter, but you're one B. You know, so there. Sure. I think the temptation would be there to hey, if things don't go well. Uh, yeah, I, I need to win games. I need to keep things rolling. And you've at least seen it work at, at sort of a modicum of what, what Chip Kelly expects in, in the prior season. Sure. So I think, yeah, I think that temptation will always be there. To, to your earlier point from earlier in the segment, I think if the offensive line play, plays better, you're fine with either. <laughs> but if, if, if the O-line play had been what it was a year ago, maybe maybe Mark Sanchez wouldn't have had that success either. But it, it, as as we Good always point. say in football, I think all the, all those pieces kind of – kind of fit together. Uh, I'm going to hit on my final unanswered question here. Uh, and it, it really, I think, ties in sort of that Miami question or Miami question I had from earlier. I, I look at the Houston Texans as one of those teams that they they don't sit with a very pretty record, obviously, at 0-2. Uh, they're a talent-filled roster. They have a, a, a unique issue that Miami doesn't have because the quarterback position is a little bit of a question mark. They've lost a couple tough games against the Chiefs, which I think a lot of teams think are, are sort of a, or a lot of people think are a resurgent team in that AFC West. They're sure. a team that will be it's not it's not a bad loss, but it is a loss. Um, and they had to make a quarterback switch mid game in there. And then they go on the road and lose to a Carolina team uh, again in a close game, but it's still two losses. And I think as much talent as you have there, Vince Wilfork coming into the middle and sort of settling things in the middle of their defense, all the talent that you have with a former first overall pick plus J.J. Watt, uh, it's just up and down that roster, you expect more. Um, I'm wondering, sure, the, un- the unanswered question I have there is, do they have uh, the ability to sort of turn this corner? They've got a little soft spot, if you want to call it that, in their schedule here. They, they hit the Buccaneers, and 
Lord knows which Buccaneers team you get this week, but maybe that's an opportunity to turn things around. Really, that's the focus of which Jameis Winston you're going to get. You know, he's had pretty <laughs> right. much contrasting performances. Yeah, it is. And it, so it's it's just sort of a roll of the dice or flip the coin. Which side comes up? Who knows? But uh, I'm really <laughs> expecting a lot more of that Houston Texans group. I mean, I know the staff well, obviously, with Billy O'Brien and Romeo Cornell and my old teammate, Mike Vrabel. They're a no-nonsense group. They they like to go back and solve problems uh, when they've, they've had some things go wrong. They're pretty scheme flexible. They're going to put their guys in the be- best position to succeed. So being down 0-2, not having performances that weren't up to their standard doesn't sort of put the the cap on the story it can change in a hurry but uh they got to figure it out i would believe in those guys would be that have would be the ones that are able to do it but i think the one thing that is apparent in two weeks is it's not going to be an overly explosive offense it doesn't mean it can't be a winning offense but this is not a team that's going to go out and put up you know 30 points a game they're going to be in that 17 to 24 range each and every week and are you going to be able to put together enough of a defensive performance through turnovers and things along that line to keep them close I think they can, but I don't know if that gets you past sort of that eight and eight mark, maybe nine and seven, maybe potentially 10 and six if they go on a run. But again, then that takes you back to the schedule. They go Bucks, they go Falcons, which you talked about earlier, Colts, which I'm not high on, and they get them in Houston, uh, and then the Jaguars. And again, who knows where they're at with the growth of Bortles and all those kinds of things. But they have an opportunity here with four not super heavy hitters to maybe get back in. But it's certainly an unanswered, an unanswered question how they'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, the thing that bothers me, to be honest with you right now, is how quickly Bill O'Brien pulled Hoyer. Now, I don't understand Hoyer was playing bad, but I don't know about you there, uh, Matt, but when I've been in situations where I've, I was in a heated competition during training camp, I was awarded the starting spot. The worst thing they could have ever done to me is not allow me to fight through adversity that came in the form of maybe subpar play. Because everybody's going to have that. You know, everybody throughout the duration of a game is going to have their peaks and their valleys. And that's really what the difference is between the guys that are great and the guys that are average is the guys that are great, when they are in those valleys, they fight through them, they know how to handle them, and then they come out the other side better. And if you're not allowing your starting quarterback to go through that process, not only are you doing him a grave injustice, but at the same time, you're setting a poor precedent now for Ryan Mallett. Mallett's going to go out there, you know, thinking any time he messes up, uh-oh, I'm going to be pulled right. just like I was brought out onto the field. And I, I think it's uh, he's playing with fire, Bill O'Brien. I, I believe he needed to be a lot more patient with Hoyer and, and really just commit to him as being the starter. I mean, they went through the competition for some reason, right? right. So to and me, and that the, could the, be a lingering issue that could yeah. uh, end up really causing them issues throughout the duration of the season. A very, very tight leash, it would appear. And again, Mallet didn't have a terrible game, and they put the ball up 58 times uh, against the Panthers and lost. I don't think that's the formula that Bill O'Brien wants. Uh, 59 pass attempts yesterday by Tom Brady, wow. the, the highest he'd ever had in his career. And Ryan Mallett's one off that. I, I just don't think that's the formula that they believe in. Yeah. Uh, even when you saw Brian Hoyer have success in Cleveland a year ago, at least in the first half of the season, they were controlled games. They're, you know, maybe 25-ish yeah. to 30 pass attempts. Putting the ball up 58 times in Ryan Mallett's hand and end up hitting it at a, at a below 50% completion percentage, going 27 to 58. He only throws the one pick, has a touchdown, does some positive things, but it's not an efficient performance. And t- until they have that sort of uh, – you know, run game that I think they're everything for them is so predicated upon the idea of just having Mallet or Hoyer, whoever it is, drop back that many times can't be what that organization is really looking for. But 
we yeah, will and that's see. gonna have to time up with the uh, that's gonna have to time up with the return of Arian Foster, you know, because yeah. he's right now a real big reason why maybe they're philosophically just somewhat discombobulated because they don't really have their workhorse back there to who they can really just pitch their offense to. It's okay, you lead us the way. Our quarterbacks who should be complimentary now are going to be complimentary players, and now we don't have to go through the ball fifty-eight times. And right. then that helps the defense. So, uh, yeah, dynamics offensively are going to change drastically when Aaron Foster eventually returns to the roster. Yeah, and you hope that things are still in sight <laughs> by the time he yeah, returns. Yeah, we so talk about playoff position, a, exactly. There's yeah. a lot of football yet to be played before he actually does return to the lineup. Yeah, and you said it. Discombobulated, not something you want to have as sort of a, a description of your team in the NFL. So <laughs> discombobulated, yeah. bad. But yeah. uh, anyway, Bus, that's that's all we have for today. You enjoy good old London over there. Have a blast and best of luck with the product. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure there, buddy. Yeah, it was fun. All right, see you, bud. That's all we have for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to the Football by Football podcast. As always, the FBF podcast can be found for streaming or download on footballbyfootball.com or blogtalkradio.com. You can download the FBF podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the TuneIn Radio app. For daily insightful stuff from guys like Brady and myself, make sure to check out the footballbyfootball.com Facebook page and give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 